what I will say though is his decisions led to the greatest ending of a race that I've seen in a long time. So actually, was he protecting, uh, you know, human life or was he setting the stage? Who knows? It's lights out. And welcome to the Cut to the Race podcast. We've just had a very uh, spicy Baku Grand Prix. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a little while. But before we do, we have... Um, oh, who's I introduce first today? Uh, let's go for Dan the Bottas fan. How are you? I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'll yeah. get through it. Okay. We have um, Matt, who I don't normally introduce him like this, but I'm going to say Matt the Aston Martin fan today. I'm the only one smiling. I had a wonderful race day. Good for you. And <laughs> we have Callum. And again, I don't normally introduce you like this, but Callum the Verstappen fan. How are you? I hate Pirelli with a passion. Well, yeah. should we talk to Mr. Rizzola about that? Hey? Well, I, want it, I want him back on. Round yeah. Two. Um, if you haven't heard our podcast with Mario Isola, um, check it out. We did it a, f- a few weeks ago now. He's the boss of Pirelli F1, and he's got a few things to answer for today. I think um, suddenly the F1 world is much more aware of who he is and not in a good way after today. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right there. Uh, I, th- I think you're right. Um, but before we talk about Baku, um, where were we last time out? We were in Monaco. It seems so long and irrelevant to go. Oh, yeah. Monaco was good for me because Verstappen won, but it was the same old 50-lap convoy. Not really much happened, did it? I mean, I had a good nap. It, it was good for a nap, but that was about it, really. Because it was it was the race after we had um, Bert Mylander. I was really excited to go, oh, I know him, right, on the track. And we didn't have, first of all, a safety car. Kelly, you're right there, mate. I just nearly spat wine everywhere, but yeah, I'm good. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we didn't have a safety car, but we didn't have a yellow flag. I mean, it was the most undramatic race possibly ever. Would we agree with that? I would say that Quali, as per usual for Monaco, Quali was definitely the tell uh, of the entire weekend. There were a bunch of people out of position. Uh, but I think for me personally, obviously with my bias, but also looking at the field as a whole, the new drivers were really the story for me and Monaco and that, you know, Checo before the season, which we'll get to him later as well, said, you know, give me four or five races and I'll be able to perform in that car and do what I need to do. He did well. He made good on that promise. Sebastian Vettel, obviously, I was very excited about that result. Uh, but the race itself, I kind of bash people for falling asleep during Monaco and I may have blacked out for about 20 laps there, came back and nothing had really changed. <laughs> yeah, I think I was too busy having a laugh with you guys than actually watching the TV, to be honest, when Monaco was on. I sort of looked up, I was like, oh, it Verstappen in the lead. And actually, two weeks later, I completely forgot that even Verstappen won it. Um, might be for a reason. <laughs> I had a horrible Monaco Grand Prix. It was okay up until maybe, what, halfway through? And then Valtteri came in for that pit stop and it all went wrong. How long was he uh, in the pits for, 10? 
<laughs> well, he was in the Still pits there. for the rest of the <laughs> day. There. He was, the, it was about forty-two hour pit stop or something. It was uh, yeah, it was it was not fun to watch as a Bottas fan at all. I tell you what did surprise me about that. So for for the listeners who can't remember what we're talking about or didn't watch it, um, Bottas went into the pits and they couldn't get the wheel off. What really struck me as strange was that Toto Wolff, team principal, said Bottas was partly at fault. That really struck me as weird. It's just it's just wrong. It's there's no way that that is Bottas's fault at all. Toto said Bottas stopped before his mark, which, yeah, he was a centimetre before his mark. A few metres down the road, yeah. No, he wasn't. He was, like, at most an inch ahead of his mark. All other three mechanics, wheel men, managed it, or women, and this one didn't, and it's Bartas' fault. How? I hate to do this. hate it, but I have to agree with Dan. I don't think... Yes! on Bottas for it. It wasn't far. The driver could still reach. Sorry, the driver. The mechanics could still reach what he had to reach. But the fact that they couldn't get it off, I think it was just probably a faulty actual nut. Maybe it hadn't been manufactured properly or whatever, I don't know. But you can't put the blame on the driver. Well, first thing, I'm just looking at my window to make sure that hell hasn't frozen over uh, with Callum actually siding with Dan and coming to Bottas's rescue. Uh, First and only time. Okay, it's like, one time. if it continues, we have to scrap the podcast. That's what this whole thing is based off of, is, you know, bashing on Dan. <laughs> oh, no, we'll get uh, there. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Don't you worry. I don't have the worst say. I don't, I'm not in the worst case here today. It could be worse for me. Uh, with that wheel nut, I don't know if you guys saw the, the photos. Uh, so with a conventional wheel nut, you have a hexagonal uh, nut, and you used to have a recessed socket that goes around it. With the wheel nuts for F1, they have these, for lack of a better word for it, like fins, to increase the surface area to put on the nut and you have an easier time aligning it on the nut. Uh, on Valtteri Botas, I don't know if they had a lateral force on it without it being fully seated, but it sheared off all of those fins. So if you can imagine like holding your fingers up and those are the fins of the wheel nut, by the time they were done trying to tighten it, they had ground it down to nubs. There was nothing for the nut to hold on to. Uh, for me, the best part of that entire experience though was watching Ollie hyperventilate with joy realizing <laughs> what was going on at that time it was do we have that video not, <laughs> yes no 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 i Come i don't on. think it was botas's fault uh i'm gonna support him as well uh at the end of the day that mechanic should have been able to make that adjustment and take that extra millisecond to make sure you're fully seated that's easy for me to say as a fat guy on the sidelines uh but that's his job and that failure led to a horrible weekend for them and that all comes out of that one pit stop do you know what? I, I'm I'm going to do something rare as well and say it wasn't Bottas's fault, was it? He comes in to have his wheels changed. That's that's their fault if it doesn't work. He's a driver, right? Um, but what I will shall I share it with you the the uh, the audio of that video of when it happened live? Absolutely, okay, absolutely right. not. I haven't seen that video. Ollie added that to my Facebook timeline. I deleted it immediately. He sent it to me. I didn't watch it. I still haven't seen it. I can't put myself through it. Um, the general consensus is now that the wheel man went on slightly sideways, which just sheared it. But 
Yeah, that was honestly, I think that is the worst <laughs> thing I've ever watched. It was, it was funny though. It was, it was funny. made worse because everyone in our little group chat was just bashing it and bashing I know, it. I know Callum and I tagged you at least 17 times in our live race chat, just making sure you were aware of that failure. Uh, yeah. Oh, I was me, aware. For me, you know, Ollie's getting married this year. And unfortunately for his lovely fiance, who we all love dearly, uh, she will never make him that happy. <laughs> because he fell out. It just, it was a moment of sheer joy at Taltry Botas and Dan's expense. And that's what we want here. I mean... There have been some fantastic memes come out of this as well. You know when um, Bottas was late for Azerbaijan, one of the wheels on the aeroplane, someone photoshopped his tyre and it's still stuck on. Um, how did they actually get that wheel off in the end? Uh, Matt, you're probably the best to answer this. Huh, you would think. Uh, if I remember correctly, there's a, they were trying to chisel the nut in half to get it to remove the wheel, but I think they actually ended up disconnecting and removing the suspension components in board bringing it out and then taking it to their machine shop facility, which is hysterical and brutal because uh, they probably had to pay. That's probably the most expensive tire change in the history of the world. Yeah, I mean, even, even Mercedes were taking the mick out themselves, weren't they? They, they, they? they had to make a joke out of it. And the, the thing was, on the social media, when they showed the, the wheel finally coming off, they didn't show me how it happened. They just There was this one man with a little tool and then suddenly the wheel's off. But, I, I, you know, it can't have been that easy, can it? Uh, Dan, do you know? Not really. They tried Ferrari's machine thing when they were actually at the track. Even Ferrari helped them out with the little hammer thing. Um, they still couldn't get it off. So they had to take it all the way back to Brackley and, and try there. And obviously they eventually got it off. But, uh, yeah. I don't think the FIA would look very favorably on them using an oxyacetylene torch trackside in the pits. Like, just some... Some redneck like me with a welding helmet and a big sawzall. Uh, that's not going to work on a multi-million dollar car. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, th- yeah, that was a, another mistake from Mercedes. And then obviously Lewis Hamilton didn't do very well. Max Verstappen won the race. Uh, what, was, what was the podium? The podium was Verstappen, Sainz and Norris, which is a very good podium, to be fair. Like As much as I would have loved Bottas to be there, that's a very feel-good podium. you got Carlando up there, and then Verstappen deserved that win. He drove brilliantly all weekend. Well, let's not forget who wasn't on that podium. If I'm, if I'm going to roast Dan, I have to have my comeuppance as well. Let's not forget what happened with Charles Leclerc and Ferrari's foibles. Uh, get Paul, decide to go for another lap, Bennett... <laughs> and then because it's Monaco, you don't want to sacrifice track position. Ferrari decided to send him out with a gearbox that blew apart. He never even got to start the race at his home Grand Prix, which is just what a kick in the plums. What I will say is there was more coverage during that race of Leclerc than there was of the race winner, Max Verstappen. Now, that's not a fact. That's just how I remember it. But it was like... Anything that happened, oh, quick, let's show Leclerc. Even when the damn podium was on, they were showing Leclerc. It's like, the guy didn't start the race because he binned it. And everyone's out there, oh, you've got to feel so sorry. No, man, the guy crashed. It's his fault. I mean, it, it did frustrate me when they were doing the podium and they're showing Leclerc. They're like, like, oh, this man already had won it. No, he hadn't. He binned it. I feel like, I think this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but I feel like Ferrari were right to risk it. I know not many people will think that, but in Monaco, if you start sixth or wherever he would have started, you're going to finish there, especially in a Ferrari this year that isn't the fastest car in the field. You know, Lewis was stuck in seventh in the fastest car 
arguably. So although ultimately it backfired, I feel like that probably was the right decision because if it had worked, he probably would have won. Finishing sixth or seventh is better than not finishing at all, though, isn't it? For me, obviously, as a Ferrari fan, uh, behind my now newly loved Aston Martin again, uh, the race directors as well. Do you all remember at the end of that Grand Prix, they were talking to Max Verstappen and one of the Williams sisters was there. Serena like, oh, congratulations on a great drive, but forget you. We're going to talk to this random sporting figure celebrity that has no idea what's going on over here. Uh and there's also the cutaway from Lance Stroll having an overtake and they just cut to somebody in the pit lane. Uh, yeah. I think we all, as an entire community, had to pay our dues in Monaco. And that, let's be honest, the on-track action wasn't that great. The race direction was trash. And it all paid out this week. They kind of got everything right, including uh, you know changing tires at Mercedes. Monaco is the one race that FOM, Formula One Management, don't control the cameras isn't it monaco do their own so it wasn't formula one management's fault for that i the didn't know that. yeah so i never knew that cal did you know that not the foggiest i don't know who controls the cameras where to be honest yeah monaco have their own company that control their own cameras so it wasn't oh. formula one management's fault which is why it was so much worse i don't think the guy had ever watched f1 we had one on track overtake and we didn't even see it Although the memes that we've had from that have almost made it worth it because some of them are quality. That kind of puts things in a different light. That makes more sense now why it was, you know, there's nothing on track. Let's just show Charles Leclerc because he is the crowd favorite and the local boy. Uh, still, nobody else runs David Coulthard for that interview segment. And I think the moment where they cut away from Max, the look of disdain Max had like, oh, yeah, screw me. I just won the Monaco Grand Prix, but yeah, let me share the limelight with something random, somebody random that just I'm well, sure that's Serena, set poorly. Which Williams was it? Serena? It was Serena Williams. I'm a massive mm-hmm. tennis fan, but I don't know why she was there. I think the, the, the image of her when, when she next wins, did you see the meme of her when she wins the next, yeah. <laughs> next championship or whatever? And they're interviewing Max Verstappen instead. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Oh, Do yeah. you all remember a couple of years ago, like the... And it was the MTV Music Awards, something like that, where Kanye West interrupted somebody for an acceptance speech. Like, listen, you had a good video, but it should have gone to Taylor Swift or whatever it was. Max Verstappen is missing a trick and he doesn't throw an elbow and just straight up hijack a Serena Williams interview. Like they're he's going to all the events and the matches. She finally wins one and Max Verstappen just pops out of nowhere. Like, yeah, so did you watch the race this weekend? Let me tell you what I did. I, I think he needs to make that happen. I mean, if Max wants to go to Wimbledon, that'd be that'd be brilliant. That'd be a win-win for me. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Mercedes' drivers, Lewis and Valtteri. Obviously, Valtteri led Mercedes' charge all weekend. Toto Wolff said that in a quote. He was the number one Mercedes that weekend. There's no other way of putting it. He had that pit stop failure. And the first thing he said in the media was, I don't know if it's mechanical failure or human error. If it's human error, we need to console the guy that made the error. He's just lost a certain podium possible win, and he said that. And Lewis, after the race, in a Zigo Sport interview, uh, was asked what like he can take away, whose fault it was, and Lewis was like, oh, for me, there's nothing to take away. For the team, there's lots of messages. And I'm just, you can't say that. That is terrible to say in the media. You were stuck behind Gasly the whole race. There is nothing Mercedes could have done about that. It clearly wasn't a terrible car at that circuit. Bottas proved that by being P2. That was an awful choice of words by Lewis. 
It was awful choice of words by you by saying Bottas proved it by being P2. No, <laughs> no, Bottas, Bottas didn't finish then. <laughs> no, okay, he would have done. He would have done. Yeah, uh, well, yeah. Would have, could have, should have. I think in the same vein, uh, which ties into this weekend very well, as, uh, easily as well, we have to talk about the guys that overperformed at Monaco. Uh, obviously, the one that I'm partial to had a very good showing, said finishing fifth, but Pierre Gasly has really come on form and nothing shows that mastery of a car better than a solid Monaco weekend, which Pierre Gasly had. We don't give him enough coverage, enough due, and enough respect as a driver. Uh, he drove his little heart out, and I was thrilled to see him with that P6. Why has he got a little heart? He's French. They're empathetic. <laughs> Cancelled. <laughs> you have to edit that. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Because my country has saved them five times in war, I don't know. Like, oh. I'm only digging this hole deeper. I will never get a Pierre Gasly interview now. Oh, we love dear. Pierre Gasly as well. To be fair, he was my driver of last year. It was, but it's just, just taken him a while to warm up this year, isn't it? He had a great drive today. He did. So um, is there anything else we want to touch on on Monaco? Um, yeah. I never thought I'd say this, but Nikita Mazepin had a solid weekend. You know, uh, can- turn one, sorry, lap one, when he double blocked his teammate. Okay, yeah. Did he? I know Mick overtook him. And still him. got passed. Yeah, yeah, Mick, Mick overtook him. Um, but he kept it out of the barriers all weekend, which is more than can be said for me. You know, I'm not a Mazepin fan, just to clarify you sound, that. You sound, like, you sound like you're picking no, a new yeah, driver I, to, to I, fail yeah, for you. Yeah, no, no way. But, you know, he beat Schumacher on track. Admittedly, that was because they let him beat Schumacher on track via team orders because Mick had a slight engine problem. But, you know, we all expected to go into the weekend, he was going to last three corners, bin it, and ride his car off. And he didn't. So, fair play. The fact that you're saying, oh, he had a really good weekend, he didn't bin it, shows how bad of a driver he really is. I didn't say don't, good, I don't said Don't defend solid. the guy, because he shouldn't be there. Don't defend the guy at all. I'm not shouldn't defending be there, him, full stop. But, okay, never mind. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, thanks for adding that in. I think we're definitely going to move on now. So um, There is one more driver. I think we need to tip the hat to at Monaco. Okay. Antonio Giovinazzi finishing P10 for Alfa Romeo. Once again, overshadowed this year. Everybody looks past him. He's stuck in an Alfa Romeo. Kimi Räikkönen is a world champion, and he has done almost nothing in that car. Antonio Giovinazzi is a secretly good racer. Dare I say more worthy of a higher seat up the grid than people that are there. I won't drag any names. I've already made myself in enough trouble with Pierre Gasly and the French as a whole today. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> okay, so, um, before we talk about this week, let's just talk... There's, there's only a few things that's happened in the news since since Monaco, but, um, let, let's discuss the, the, the big ones, anyway. Um, Dan, over to you. I suppose the biggest one would be the fact that the Singapore Grand Prix has been cancelled for the second year on the trot. Mm-hmm. I quite like the Singapore Grand Prix, you know, street race, night... Street circuit, night race. Um, I know Lewis likes Singapore. He's put in arguably the best lap of his career at Singapore in 2018. So I'm quite sad to lose Singapore. I'm especially sad because uh, my honeymoon is booked for around the same time as the Singapore Grand Prix to Mexico. And I'm thinking there's no chance that we're going to be going to Mexico. So I've been trying for weeks 
to persuade her to change the ticket to go to Singapore Grand Prix. So now my case is uh, falling on its head. So they, they put on a good party at the Singapore Grand Prix. They got big, big artists and, and music events as well. May I make a suggestion to an alternative change of venue for your honeymoon, Ollie? Because there are talks that it may be coming to a little place called America. And I know a guy out here <laughs> who will make sure that you and your lovely fiance have the greatest time ever. Uh, Mate, would that be ironic I that I come, I go on my honeymoon to see you? That that sounds about right, doesn't it? Is it ironic? <laughs> like, I'm the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll uh, try, try to explain that one to her. I think it's an easy sell. Uh, the reports over here were that they were trying to look at a second American Grand Prix race to fill in that void. Uh, the obvious selection would be the hallowed Indianapolis Motor Speedway. No talks have been started, though, by either party at this point. So I don't know if this is going to be one of those instances where we write off a race and have one less on the schedule or if there's going to be some very interesting logistical nightmares coming up. But uh, hopefully they can find a place to fill it because a weekend without racing is a weekend not worth enjoying. Exactly. They, they've got to fill it. And I think they also have to because of because of their quota. They, they, they've committed to a number of races. We've also obviously just lost another one uh, a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, they need to they need to keep the races in. So a, a double header at Cota, I never, God almighty, I never thought that that, that would happen. Um, a couple of other names that have been thrown in the mix are Magello. Obviously, we went there last year, seen that massive crash at the safety car restart, and Turkey and China as well. F one is still keeping the option open should COVID scenarios change, which either one of those three tracks I'd be quite happy to go to. Okay, it's time for my unpopular opinion, but I think if we can't go to Singapore, we sure as hell shouldn't be going to China. Um, just, just, uh, no one can argue with that, can they? I think the Singapore faff is the fact it's a street circuit, so it's like a lot of planning, it's very closely compact and everything, whereas China is obviously a racetrack, so it's already there. You don't need to cancel plans. People can be a bit more spread out. I think that's the thinking behind it. Okay, fair enough. I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, why can't we do like a doubleheader at Spa or... Well, we did a doubleheader at Silverstone last year, didn't we? I, uh, it wasn't that exciting. You can't have two Silverstones. I think we've learned that. Wasn't um, that exciting. Tyres went pop and then it was Verstappen's only win of the season. It was pretty maybe. exciting. Well, maybe it was, but I think for me, maybe it's because I'm usually at the Grand Prix and I was watching it on TV and then it was the same two weekends in a row. It just didn't, it, it didn't feel like Silverstone. Maybe that's what it is. And I'm used to seeing Spa on TV. I don't know. Um, okay, shall we talk about any other news, Dan? Have you got any? Um, we had the extreme flooding at Spa, speaking of Spa, where a local river or lake, or I think it was a river, completely burst its banks and water just rushed onto the circuit at extreme speed. Um, a lot of it's going to have to be resurfaced. The VIP box area was damaged. So it's going to be an expensive repair bill for Spa. And it kind of took the world by, or the F1 world by shock when we all saw pictures of it. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I've got to be honest. Those who've been to Spa, I mean... You prepare to get soaked at Spa. Uh, when I was there, it, you, I got soaked about four times. And as soon as it start, stopped raining, it's sunny. Then it rains and it's sunny. Then it's raining and it's sunny. And it's all, there's always torrential rain there because of its location. Um, but this, this I believe, was called by heavy rain, but seriously heavy rain. So, my God, if they, if they used to heavy rain already, that must have been a serious storm that they had. 
So let's talk about qualifying for uh, the 2021 Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I'm glad we were back there. Oh, God, did I miss it last year. Um, but this wasn't a standard qualifying. It was not standard procedure in terms of the Mercedes train. Mercedes were having another difficult weekend. Um, and yeah, we had, we had a bit of drama, didn't we? We had two, was it four red flags? Yeah, it was four. So yeah, Dan, talk us through that. Yeah, so Giovinazzi crashed, Stoll, Stroll crashed, Ricardo crashed, and Sonoda crashed, which is the joint most red flags we've had in qualifying. I believe it was Hungary 2016, I want to say off the top of my head. Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that also had four red flags. But it was just a bit of a mess. I know Verstappen was saying after qualifying it was a bit of a mess because no one could keep it out of the wall, which is ironic. because yeah, he, he was angry, crashed, wasn't he? He was he very angry. Free. Let's not forget that he had crashed in P2 or P3, wasn't it? This whole weekend was just a... Turn 15 had a magnet in there somewhere, just drawing cars in. Uh, But it was was very weird to see a mix of the new guys and the seasoned veterans all getting collected at the same point. Yeah, they said it was... They said, obviously, it was to do with the wind. And got to be honest, I find that crazy. We're talking about Formula One here and a few knots of wind can make such a big difference. It's insane, isn't it? It really is. And there's also that, uh, specifically at turn 15, there's that small bump uh, because it is a street circuit that's been resurfaced uh, as they come into the entrance of the turn that would shift the load to the front right of the car and cause a lockup. And that just happened over and over and over again. Uh, Put that in concert with the wind and it it was a recipe for disaster, a.k.a. a brilliant qualifying session. Yeah, that that and they 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 changed the oh god I don't know what turn it is now but the one where everyone normally crashes where um, Leclerc had his famous big big hit turn um, seven at the castle that's it yeah 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 um, so they 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 made that easier this year they took away the bump and they 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 reduced the angle of turn I was a bit disappointed in that that's that's why I love Baku. So was I. Um, Pierre Gasly said in his Skypad interview that although the actual corner was easier, it made the exit in a way harder because it's such a tight section and it means they're going quicker. So although it made the I am stupid part of the corner easier, it made the exit harder. I think they've they've changed it purely because if a car like Leclerc, when he smacked into the barrier, it's so hard to actually continue going round past him in a safe manner they needed to make it safer, didn't they? You can't have the safety car and all the fucking pack following them past Leclerc who's in the wall in that tight section. It just won't work. That is, Ed, I think it was covered in the in the uh, run-up to coverage this morning, that uh, that's the smallest, narrowest sector or turn in any portion of the F1 counter. Wasn't it four meters? Something like that, which is, if, as an American, and if you think about four meters, you're like, okay, you can get a car through there. But we have to keep this in the perspective of, we're talking at speeds of 80 kilometers an hour through that section. So if you do have an I'm stupid moment, which I love that, we should petition to rename that I'm stupid corner. Uh, you know, it's unforgivable and there's nothing you can do until that car is cleared. You have to red flag a session. I think that was kind of the intent was to make that a little bit easier to manage in case of a derp moment. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, an F1 car is restricted to two meters wide. So if the if if that is four meters, that 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 clinch point then yeah you're not gonna you're not getting another car through there unless you're Lewis Hamilton. That, that, <laughs> that turn also tightens the other clinch point which is the driver's rear end <laughs> yeah and 
Uh, anyway, no, Kelly, I think you make a good point. It, it's you're blocking the track if you crash there, right? So that okay, I take that. Um, yeah. So going back to Quali, we had another Ferrari on pole. What is going on? We had a Ferrari on pole in one piece, even. Uh, <laughs> Just Charles Charles Leclerc. Yeah, I've always called him Mister Consistency. Uh, he's been consistently crashing and qualifying as of late. Sorry, Charles, I love you. Uh, but that was not entirely up to him. Uh, there was an accidental toe that he took uh, advantage of. I think it was from Yuki Sonoda at the end of it was that. Lewis Hamilton, wasn't it? Was it Hamilton? Yeah. Which leads into another th- reason why there were not two Mercs on pole is uh, Mercedes have not found a way to get their drivers to make nice all the time. Uh, I don't know what's happening. This is like a bizarro segment. We're actually defending Valtteri Botas so far, uh, but he gave the toe to Lewis Hamilton twice and was never returned the favor. And I feel that that hurt both their ability to get up higher in the grid, but also Charles Leclerc was in the right place, right time, and was able to capitalize off that moment. I, I saw an interview with Toto talking about why did Lewis get the benefit and not Valtteri. And he said that they alternate race on race. Each one of them can take the decision whether they go first or the other one does. You're disagreeing with with Dan, so I I want to hear your side. That's a load of rubbish. Every race, it's one goes out first, second one, the other one goes out first. But in Baku, the one place other than Monza where you really need a toe, Lewis goes second both times. (laughs) What's all that about? I get he's first in the championship, but if, or he's not now, he's, he wasn't even at the start of this, but he's fighting for the championship. But if for round six, you're doing that, that's just not right. So Toto came out and said that every other race, the drivers swap. It just so happens that Baku fell for Lewis. Well, that's not the case. That. Normally they swap between runs, not nah, between that, races. That's how it used to be. They've changed it. So well, that's how it's been all season. So they've nah. just decided for Baku. Maybe nah. at the beginning of the season, they decided which order they would do this in based on the calendar. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, I believe Toto, if he says, if he says it's fair, it's fair. It's it, okay, that, fine. But if at Monza, they do the same thing in Valtteri's favour... I'll understand it. But it depends whether it if falls they, on one of his on weekends or off weekends. If they go it? back to doing Valtteri goes first, then Lewis goes first, next race, I'm just going to say I told you so. That's all I'm going to say. Do okay. we actually believe Toto with this, though? I mean, there is going to be that nope. PR coaching to make it you know, an even playing field. But let's be honest. Look at the salaries. We all know who the number one driver is there. Are you not going to give deference to, sorry, Dan, the better driver? Take away all the history. Look at the qualifying results of just this year alone. Valtteri Botas is not matching up to Lewis Hamilton, which is the same problem all of Max Verstappen's teammates have had since he's taken over at Red Bull. I think they would be remiss to say, oh, we have to get equal deference if you're not getting equal results. I think Toto is wise enough to not go to a press conference or an interview and lie. I think he'd just say, I'm not answering that if he didn't want to answer it or if he wanted to deflect it he would just simply say no I'm not talking about that the fact that he's come out and said no that's how it was supposed to be makes me think it was the truth he's not that sort of guy but he doesn't come across as that sort of guy anyway so I think that's just how it fell for the team and the way the team works if that is the truth that's something they've decided since Monaco before this weekend 
So it will be interesting to see next weekend. Now, it, it is difficult to say with certainty what the salaries are, but Matt, I just want to pick up on that. Um, we believe Lewis Hamilton's on around $50 million for this year. And um, the reports suggest that Valtteri is on between 7 and 10. So, I mean... He's not worth more than that, though. But what I will say is... He's, Valtteri's also... Actually, can I... I'm not going to reveal the championship position yet, but he, he's... He's not near the top, is he? No, but that's not his fault, but we'll get into that. Oh, here we go. It's not his... It wasn't his fault when he crashed into George Russell. It wasn't his fault for the wheel nut. It wasn't his fault today. At some point, you have to say God is punishing you, Dan, for taking such an idiotic stance. No, no, no. Monaco was not his fault. There's no other argument there. I don't feel Imola was his fault, and that's the general consensus. Today, I think, was partly his fault. He had an inferior setup on his car to Lewis. (laughs) Don't talk about it yet. No, no, no. no. We haven't got that. We haven't got that. We haven't got that. Um, oh God, I can't wait for I can't wait for about 10, 15 minutes from now. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, yeah, have we spoken about the, the starting grid? Okay, so shall we do that? Um, we had Charles Leclerc on pole. Lewis Hamilton came out of nowhere after a poor performance all weekend and put it on second, which I'll be honest, I didn't see that coming. Uh, I thought it was going to be another Bottas. Yes, he did. Um, that's what a rear gunner is for. Uh, and then <laughs> I'm just I'm just winding you up, Dan. <laughs> I'm just winding you up. <laughs> I'm here for that. Uh, we had Max Verstappen, the championship leader, starting in third. And then I think, like you said, Matt, we need to talk about this man, Pierre Gasly, fourth. What's a performance, man? Pierre Gasly. We won't go into the results today yet, but has been right on the cuff so many times this season, has had some incredible drives. They haven't been necessarily flashy just due to the uh, disparity of the field. You know, sometimes strategy goes wrong, but he is ringing that Alpha Towery for all it's worth. And to be fair, Yuki's starting to come into his own. That Honda power unit is severely underappreciated for just how dominant it is. We all talk about the flexi wing fiasco that's been gone this last week. It's all out there. Google it. It's on our website. You can find articles abundantly about it. But for a Brandon Honda that is pulling out of the sport, you know, Honda put together a phenomenal package with this redesigned engine this year. And it's working for Pierre. Pierre is comfortable. And I think... He's got a chip on his shoulder after being let go from Red Bull, and he's going to show them what they're missing. And I don't think he would go back. Uh, he was brilliant, brilliant in qualifying for Baku. I'm glad you've mentioned um, Sonoda because he qualified eighth, which, by the way, is ahead of Valtteri Bottas, who... Seventh. He also crashed. Uh, it says eighth. Bottas didn't. It says eighth here because Lando got a grid penalty. Uh, uh, that's exactly what it is. You are You are correct. Thank you. Um, God, that hurt to say. (laughs) So, yeah, he qualified in eighth, um, which is his best so far. And whoever made that decision to say, right, I'm going to send Yuki to move house uh, and be nearer the factory or whatever they did during this week, right? They need a pay rise, man, because they're going to be sitting there looking at the result going, ha, I I did that. Um, So, no, good good on Yuki. I mean... uh, (laughs) Cal, what, what, what do you think on that? 
Well, I just want to touch on Gasly. Matt, you said, I don't think he'd want to go back to Red Bull. Like, he's under contract with Red Bull. Do you think he'd have a choice? Or do you think he'd be forced back into that Red Bull seat? I think there are two different stances, uh, excuse me, two different points that are key on that. Number one, we haven't talked about Checo yet. Checo qualified P6. Uh, Checo initially was kind of underperforming. We didn't know what the contractual obligations are this year. Red Bull is reaping the benefits of having that man in that number two seat. But also, I know Pierre Gasly is the consummate professional, but for me, how would you not take it as a personal slight or a personal disservice to be demoted midseason and then come to your own when you know that it's a notoriously hard car to drive and just wasn't really suited to him? And now he's getting these incredible results and help goes, oh, no, no, we, we screwed up. Come back. Come make us money. No, he's comfortable at AlphaTauri. He's getting results at AlphaTauri. And I dare say that the mentality of that team suits him better. Uh, he's in a much, much better headspace than he ever was at Red Bull. Uh, I know he's contractually obligated, but surely there is a legal way around that because teams cut contracts all the time to get rid of drivers. There has to be a way that if he wanted to say no, he could have a legal precedent to do so. Why would he even have the option to go back to Red Bull? Because they're not going to get rid of Max. They're not going to get rid of Checo at this rate. He's doing incredible. Going into this weekend, you know, Checo has shown signs of brilliance. He's not had a full weekend yet. And I still would say on Saturday, he is still lacking what that car is capable of and what he's capable of in that car. However... Do we know the contractual terms for his uh, contract at Red Bull? Is it not only a one year? So how could we possibly say that they're not going to let Checo go? They have to plan for that legally going forward in the contractual negotiations because they don't know. If you bring in Checo and you have that pay increase and he performs at levels subpar like Alex Albon and to be fair like Pierre Gasly did there, why would you retain him going forward? That is inherently different from Red Bull's strategy of promoting, retaining, and training and relying upon younger drivers to get a better long-term benefit from. I think as the the resident Red Bull fan here, um, I was very, very sceptical of having Perez come to the team. I thought he was past it, even though we were crying out for some experience. I just thought he's not going to be the man for us. You backed Albon, didn't you? The whole the whole yeah. way through that saga did. on this podcast, you said keep Albon. I want to yeah. Dare I say Cal's right in that, because Cal, correct me if I'm wrong, your intent is keep that young guy, let him develop into that talent and maintain that long-term relationship. That's what you wanted to see happen. That's a completely valid standpoint. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And with Perez only having one year, I would like to think that that is the plan still. But you never know. If Perez smashes it this season and keeps up with Max, they'd be stupid to sort of say, well, actually, no, we're going to give the kid who didn't do very well another chance. And then Perez is without a seat. There's, there's got to be give and take with all this. And I think they've made the wrong mistake, but the right mistake at the same time. It is, oh, it's, it's hard to keep up with. They've obviously kept Albon in the Red Bull family as a test and reserve driver. So it's not like they've got rid of him completely. The option to bring him back in to either Red Bull or AlphaTauri is still there for next year. As much as when Red Bull turned up to testing, we all kind of went, wow, they're quick. Red Bull would have known from their data from Honda and all the other many systems they have that they had a good car for this year, way before we knew. So why wouldn't they just go for that one season shootout before the new regulations of let's get someone strong that we know will deliver rather than Albon, where it's every race it was a case of he might get fourth if we're really lucky, he might get 14th 
it, I don't think it was worth the risk for Red Bull. Where I will say this is the reason I would do that if I were in Helmut Marco's shoes is we have seen what Pierre Gasly was able to do with adapting to a new car. We have seen what Alex Albon was able to do when adapting to a new car. And we have are now beginning to see what Checo can do in a new car. Uh, even if we take away this weekend and we go back to last weekend, Checo had a better result than I feel Alex Albon or Pierre Gasly would have had in that car in the same amount of time in the seat. Going forward, there's going to be the same hurdle going into 2022. It's a new car. It's a new system. It's a new aerodynamic principle. So why would you not base it upon the person's adaptability? I won't necessarily come out and say that Checo is the better driver or human being or anything like that or even more marketable. I will say that Sergio Perez is more adaptable than both the other two people in consideration for that second Red Bull seat. And he has shown that and will continue to show that hopefully the rest of the season. And that's why they should be sticking with him. Exactly. You, you, F1 teams are a business. You need to make money. And as much as we want to bring the next drivers up and, you know, support support the others, Red Bull have got to make money. They've got to get results. It's the same reason that uh, Bottas won't be with Mercedes next year. It, it's exactly the same reason. Well, you don't know that. Um, but Red Bull's problem is they have two bigger pool of drivers that they can pick from. They've got the four in the team at the moment. They've got Albon on the wings. They've got, I don't know, Yuri Vips, Liam Lawson on the uh, in the F2. Sorry. <laughs> I was just waving goodbye to Bottas, by the way, for the listeners. I was just uh, saying, ta-da, see you later. Completely put me off. You've got Yuri Vips and Liam Lawson doing really well in F2. There's too many drivers that they can pick from and not enough seats. So some of these drivers will get dropped and be without a career. You just need to look at Antonio Felix da Costa to see the Red Bull programme can either make you like Verstappen or break you like it did for many drivers. Are you honestly trying to tell me that we should go with Yuri Vips or Liam Lawson over? Uh, Liam Lawson made two crucial mistakes. And I believe it was the second feature race this weekend uh, where he was put out. And also, even if we are saying they're good drivers, we're still back around to that adaptability and learning curve at Red Bull. The Red Bull car is notoriously difficult to drive. You know, Alex Albon is a much more experienced driver than I am and could drive circles around my fat American butt. But I would not say that Yuri, Yuri Vips is a, it's a decent talent. Liam Lawson, I think, edges him out. Neither one of those two are going to be able to re- replicate the success Checo has had by learning that car and that system, integrating with the team, the personality types, going through the simulators. And he's already begun simulating training for 2022. They stand to gain nothing. There is a comeuppance. There is a due diligence. If anything, even Yuki Tsunoda now has more time in F1. I I have to disagree. While they are good drivers, are they going to be as marketable? Are they going to be as successful on track, even though they are Red Bull Junior drivers? I would actually put Vips is slightly better than Lawson in my point of view. But I'm not necessarily saying that they should have the seat. I'm saying where do they go if they don't get the seat? because they can't stay in F2 forever. It's expensive series to race in, and I know Red Bull will probably fund that, but they're not going to want to stay in F2 forever. You know, Sonoda shot through the ranks, so why should Vips and Lawson sit there and be like, yeah, we'll have three th- seasons think, in F2? I think this is the age-old story of there's there's only a certain amount of seats in F1 and not the best guys get it. <clears throat> you know, this is why we have... Well, it's not why we have, but... We have different championships, you know. We have we we, we we have endurance racing. We have Formula E. There are different options because, Lord knows, 
you're lucky to get one driver a year from F2 into F1, right? It, 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 it's cutthroat. And also there's the sponsorships, the money behind it. And I'll tell you now, there are three, probably three or four people I'd rather see in F1 right now than the drivers that are there. Um, you know, I, I think there are drivers who shouldn't be in F1 that are. Um, and it's it's just what motorsport and F1 is. Cal? Yeah, I just want to echo what you said there, that it's become too much of a, a business and it's not based on talent anymore. If you look at Nikita Mazepin, he has shown us in the first five races of this season, he is not ready for an F1 car. There is a lad driving the F2 at the minute, and I think he's called Delado or something like that. Alessio Delado, yeah. Yeah, Delado. He, he was a minute and 20 behind at some point in one of the races this weekend. And he, during a blue flag, he swerved. He didn't even see them coming. He just took the racing line, and someone was going to overtake him. Nearly crashed straight into the back of him. There are people in F2 and F1 who shouldn't be there, but they're there purely because their dad is loaded. And it's just wrong. It is just wrong. Deleda missed 107% at Monaco as well, which is just unheard of nowadays. And then dare I say, and I, 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 I God, I don't, I don't want to say this, but you've got a British talent like what Dan Tictum is, where he's doing some things that he shouldn't do, but his attitude stinks, man. Like it, it really, it, it's not a cool way to go. But yet he's a sort of driver, and we're talking about driver here behind the wheel that we'd like to see in F1 because he's exciting to watch. And I think we've got to an era where, you know, the the Lewis and uh, the Lewis era where you could just start in a top team. You, you don't have that anymore. You look at Mick Schumacher and he's, he's in a Haas. You've got great drivers like Russell, he's in a Williams. Um, these are championship winning drivers and they're in the lower teams because you've got to work your way up now. Teams won't take that chance. I agree with your point totally about Dan Tictum. He is looking purely at his driving abilities. He's brilliant, but he's used he's threatened to use his car to drive into people before. You can't have someone like that in F1. But if you base it purely on driving abilities, he deserves to be in F1. I'm sorry, you're talking about people who can't say they can't drive their car into people. Uh, should we have a quick perusal through history? Of I'll even use we'll start at the very tippy 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 top. Let's use Michael Schumacher. Michael Schumacher was an elbows out. I will run you off the track and was even quoted as saying, uh, "Who was it that ran him off and or he rear-ended in Belgium '98?" Uh, that was that was David Coulthard. Coulthard, yeah, yeah, but he didn't do it on purpose. He didn't do it on purpose. But the the classic exchange of Coulthard, or excuse me, uh, Schumacher going to his garage. Uh, there's a quote there. Mm. Schumacher says, if you ever do that again, I'll make sure you never step foot on a track again. (laughs) That was one of the greatest moments in F1 history, seeing Schumacher get out of that car and storm down the pit lane and the Ferrari mechanics holding him back. Oh, that's what F1's about, man. I I miss those sort of things. You mean to tell me Nigel Mansell didn't make, you know, veiled threats at some point in his career? You know, a lot of these guys have had that mentality and have raced like that. Look Look at Prost and Senna. I mean, literally intentionally wrecking each other to secure the championship. Uh, so I, I have to wholeheartedly disagree with that statement. Uh, it may be a little bit more polished, a little bit more behind closed doors and PR friendly now. But, you know, racing is racing from the very top all the way down to the bottom. Uh, and also with the amount of series, Cal, you may know better than I do, the amount of things that Red Bull does racing, the different series they're involved in. I mean, 
there are opportunities there. Being in F2 does not guarantee and it does not imply that you will be given the nod to go to F1 anymore. No, no, not of course not. But at the same time, if you're in F2, I feel like the actual goal is to go to Formula 1. Your initial goal is to go to Formula 1 because there is other things like DTM and GT racing and stuff like that. But, but F1's the next step, time. isn't it? From, if you're in yeah. F2, it's, the, 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 it's like getting a promotion at work, right? It's the same thing. And at the same time, if you're in F2, you'll always be weighing up your options because not every car makes it, or sorry, every driver makes it to Formula 1, and that is just a proven fact. So, yeah, you know, that, that they should know to keep their options open and not put all the eggs in one basket. Okay, I think we've gone on a bit of a tangent. Funny that. We don't do that very often, do we? Well, were we, were we talking about qualifying in Baku? <laughs> Some, something like that, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the race. Um, I think the way we're going to do it this week is we're going to talk about the drivers and then see where we end up in terms of a race review because let's not just talk about that one two three that's 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 pretty damn boring so we had four drivers who didn't finish today um we had Ocon we had Russell so what happened to those two I think both of those well Ocon had a gearbox issue I believe because he hit the wall in qualifying and they carried over to today and he had issues with the gearbox and then Russell there was a period during the end of the race where there was a red flag, I won't say why, but basically during the restart on the formation lap, he just went straight back into the pits and I think he had an issue there. I'm not entirely sure what his issue was, but he retired the car. And we had two drivers with pretty spectacular crashes, which were Lance Stroll and... Max Verstappen, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone's straight away pointing the finger at Pirelli for this one because they, they the tyres just deflated, like, really dangerously as well. I think Max was doing 200 um, and his left rear went. Stroll's left rear went as well, so there's a lot of speculation going on. But I do have here a tweet from someone called Thomas Mayer. Um, he said, both tyre sets from Stroll and Verstappen are being flown back to Milan by air freight for extensive checks. Both failures are being discounted as being down to tyre wear. Um, Cuts of around five to six centimetres were also found on Lewis Hamilton's tyre. The cut was on the left rear as well uh, and found under the red flag when the red flag was stopped. Um, There was no sign of warning of either failure for Stroll or Verstappen. Um, Preliminary investigation is airing on the side of an external cause for the failures but full investigation is being made as a top priority before Paul Ricard. Okay, I think I think a few things happened today that were challenging and interesting for F1, which is obviously we had Lance Stroll. It looked like a tyre failure. Let's be honest, that's what it looked like. And he was probably doing 180 at the time, and he had a pretty hard hit. You then have just, what, I don't know, probably half a mile down that straight, you have the same thing happened to Max Verstappen, same tyre. You've got to think at that point, it, it's the tyre failing. You, you have to. That's a natural thing to, 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 you know, to think of. And I think it was a very difficult decision today for the FIA to red flag. And then also, what do you do? So we, we've potentially got tyres failing. We don't know why. Do we get everyone's tyres changed, don't we? What do we do, Cal? 
I just want to say on the on the red flag thing, Red Bull after Max's crash, there I can't think of his name to save my life. Typical at the wrong time. Jonathan Wheatley. That that guy. Um he sits next to Christian Horner on the pit wall and he was straight on to Michael is it Michael Massey, the FIA guy? Yeah, straight on to him saying, You need to red flag this session. Uh, I know you're busy, but red flag it because we have no warning about this. Everyone needs to check their tires. Please red flag the session. And I thought, from a race perspective, that could have damaged Red Bull because they were running well. Perez was in front. He had a good few uh, seconds in front. Um, but then they've actually stopped the race for everybody for a safety concern, which I thought was really, really good of Red Bull because they could have lost that race at that point. And when we heard that part, I thought, you know, when it comes up, FIA talking to Red Bull or whatever on, on, on the broadcast, I thought, honestly, Red Bull were going to say, red flag the session, do a rollback. But they didn't. They were happy with, well, not happy, but they were accepting that Max was off, but they were just saying red flag it for safety. And I think that took me be, took me by surprise, and especially because Crofty and, and, you know, all the pundits have been saying about this rollback, which... I'll be honest, I didn't understand it at the time. I'd never heard of it. And Matt, can you explain it? <laughs> no pressure. Uh, basically, whenever there is a red flag issue that is put out that's affecting the entire field and there's an unsafe condition to go forward in the race, they go back to the previous lap before the incident occurred, look at the running order, and that will be the quote-unquote finishing order for the race. Uh, I think I don't know if Red Bull was actually thinking that far ahead, uh, because if you look at the coverage during that red flag session, Joe Bauer actually came out of the FIA office and was walking around inspecting the left rear tires of all the cars. So I don't know if it was a tip of the hat first off and foremost to Red Bull for being the world-class sportsman they are, saying, we don't care what you do, just make it safe to finish. You know, massive kudos to them. They are better human beings than I am. Uh the follow-up to that as well is the FIA were actually doing a very good job of going through and making sure that there weren't signs already showing on some of those other tires. That's why I think that's why it took so long for that red flag session 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 to end is they were trying to get a look at the left rears of all the cars currently on track to make sure they weren't going to be any more imminent failures. We know you're allowed to change tires in a red flag session. But we also had to keep track of those tires. And I think the disparity on the time was due to the tire management and tire savings of the drivers. Uh, that's at least as far as I go, my understanding of what was going on in that red flag. The immediate thing that struck me was how as soon as something like that happens, everyone goes from I want to win this world championship to being almost a normal human again and being like, right, safety comes first. Um, and the first thing that I thought of, you saw Lance Stroll, you know, spin off, hit the barrier, come back onto the track. The first thing that came to my mind was Antoine Hubert. That is exactly how he died, having a crash, coming back onto the track and someone T-boning him, which resulted in Correa's tragic injury as well. Thankfully, he survived his. And you heard Lance Stroll on the radio being like, oh, crap, red flag this, get me out of here. Get me out of here, yeah. That's what yeah. he said. And you could hear the terror in his voice, man. Yeah. So we have to think that, about where he is. If he just had that tire failure and somebody else is coming down that straight and has the same failure, he is now in that line of fire. And I know we all have been guilty of kind of poking fun or taking shots at Lance Stroll. None of us at the Nerds ever want to see a driver get harmed, period. Uh, 
small tangent to all of you on Facebook saying that you celebrated that, shame on you. Uh, because even Red Bull, who are directly competing against these people, don't want to see that. So do better, be better. Uh, however, you know, that is a scary situation. You can't get out of the car because what if your car is hit and it's then careened into you? Uh, but also Lance Stroll was visibly shaken. It took him a minute to kind of get his bearings. And once the com- communication started flowing again, because I actually swapped over to his radio, there were about 10 seconds of silence there. And I remember asking the group chat because my broadcast is so far behind. Is he moving? Is he out of the car? Because it it's a 200 mile an hour impact. No matter how you slice it and dice it, that's scary. Yeah, I think that thinking about it, that there can't be anything scarier for a driver knowing that you're going along at 190 to 200 miles an hour. There's no cars near you. You're, you're just on your own and you're, you know, blitzing down the straight and then all of a sudden a tyre goes and within half a second you're in the wall. There can't be anything scarier than that because when it actually happened as well, he's adjusting things on his steering wheel. So he's not even thinking about the road. He's thinking about the steering wheel. And then all of a sudden he's got to catch it. And uh, man, he must have been terrified. I bet the stain on his um, Aston Martin overalls was actually real urine. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a bit of a stain, wasn't there? But um, Yeah, I'd have definitely peed my pants. I, I think it could have been a brown moment as well. It's the second part, though. It's not only have you just had a crash at 180 miles an hour, right? You're then, like, you know when you're a kid and you're scared that someone's breaking into your house or something, right? You don't move. You stay in your bed, right? You don't move. When you're scared, humans stay still, unless you're being chased by a fucking bear or something. But my point is, is he sat in that car waiting to be hit, is essentially what was happening, right? He was absolutely terrified. And that's scary, man. That's That's terrifying. One of the things as well is you are on the main straight. There are no known danger areas. I guess I'd say like at turn 15, you have the bump. There's nothing to throw you offline. There are no oil slicks. Nobody's had a crash there. So I think when he, and you're not going to light up the tires from 180 to 200 miles an hour. It's not yeah. going to be an instant loss of traction. Yeah. Uh, so if you watch the onboard at the first failure point, he assumes almost as, as you should and it inherently acted like it, like an oversteer moment. Somehow he got offline that it could have been a shift and he tries to catch it. And then <laughs> that friction and that drag on that side of the car, it's, I'm sorry, it's impossible to catch that. Lance Stroll is a world-class driver. Max Verstappen, who had the same failure, is a world-class driver. Neither one of them could save that. And, you know, they go to the sky pad and they always show, the little track wheel where they go through. Oh, at 13 milliseconds down the road, he cut out of this. That's a that's really easy to do in slow-mo replay. In real time, he was in the wall before he really even knew what happened. It was instinctive reactions to correct. You're not catching that. And I think that was the scariest thing for him and going forward to the Max Verstappen incident. That's why they were taking that safety stance. It's happened to our guy. He couldn't catch it. It's happened twice now. You're not going to save it. And we got lucky twice that those drivers escaped serious injury. Both those drivers were going completely straight when this happened. They weren't turning. And as soon as it happened, their car swerved off. That is an instant failure. You need to look at Bottas from 2018 in Baku when his tyre went because he ran over debris. He didn't suddenly lose control of the car and hit the wall. Stop laughing at that. Um, He didn't instantly lose control of the tyre and hit the wall. I think they should have 
checked something after Stroll's crash personally. I know that would have ruined the racing spectacle, but what spectacle and price do you put on safety? Like everyone had roughly the same age tire on. That could have happened to anyone and it could have been a lot worse than it thankfully was today. It, it, it's not the first time we've seen multiple failures in a race, though. We see it at Silverstone pretty much every time we go to Silverstone, right? Um, but what 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 I really what what I find about you know racing fans is I'm a Lewis Hamilton fan, right? Max Verstappen going out the race, I should have been cheering, right? Most people were like, "Wow, no, no, that was horrific." Max Verstappen didn't deserve to crash from the lead. That's not fair. That's not fair racing. It wasn't his fault. He didn't deserve a blowout. And also, that's scary, man. It's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, Max drove a brilliant race. And credit to Stroll. Stroll was having a steady race as well. He'd come from the start on the hards. And I think he was in, like, fifth or fourth, fourth or fifth when he crashed. And, you know, obviously that wasn't his fault. It's such a shame because, obviously, Aston Martin were having a good day and... It's wrecked their chances, and the same for Red Bull. Max Verstappen, their saving grace, the one that's getting all the points for them most of the time. Blowout, can't help it. So then, obviously, fingers straight away were pointed at Pirelli. Christian Horner was actually seen speaking to um, Helmut Marco and the Sky cameras were on him, and he raised the volume a little bit in his voice, shall we say, so that the conversation could be heard. Um, yeah, I think the tire... There was nothing wrong with the tyre! <laughs> exactly what it was like i agree with dan uh but i also understand why the race went the way it did with not stopping after stroll's failure there's always the possibility that a piece of debris has been missed and they could have picked it up and one of the things that was very key to me for the max verstappen incident and why it was taken so seriously was on the telemetry they said we had no failure we had no indication it was a sudden failure i Granted, Aston Martin could have conveyed that to the FIA during his incident, but for it to be explicitly stated and for us all to be made aware of it, that it was instantaneous. I think, you know, once it can be a a circumstance, an accident, something like that, two times, same tire, same portion of the track, same type of failure, all of that, that's no longer a coincidence. That's a pattern. And I feel that's why the Max Verstappen incident was treated so much more severely and why they were so much more diligent with it. So I, I think what we're saying is, is hats off to the FIA. They did exactly the right thing. You can't prove why one tyre goes, right? But if two go, similar place, similar sort of circumstances, you have to investigate that because, Jesus Christ, because we're going, we're going 200 miles an hour. You, people can die. Also, I would be very keen, and I don't know if this is in the regulations. I'll do some research on my own. I would love to sit down with the FIA and specifically Mike Massey, and dive into what conditions, stipulations, or data points have to be met for you to say, red flag, come in, we're checking things. There has to be a statute there. There have to be certain criterion met. And I can understand why they wouldn't on one tire. But we are talking a multi-billion dollar industry and business and event with this race. So for them to treat it with such deference and bring it in, stop everything, cold bore two laps from the end of the race and go through it the way they did, that is them putting that uh, emphasis on driver safety and doing the right thing. Uh, so even if it wasn't the end we wanted, even if it wasn't, which so we'll 
fun later on. But even if it wasn't the way it should, we thought it should have gone down, we have to applaud them for having that awareness and that self-preservation for the drivers to make that call. Well done, Mike Massey. Yeah, I, do you know what? I want to get Mike Massey on this podcast to, to, to ask him questions like that. I mean, Matt, you said there's got to be certain criteria, certain uh, things met to, to red flag a race. I disagree. I think Mike Massey is there because he's the he's overlooking this. And if he feels something ain't right, that's his job. He's empowered to do that. If if he feels that there's any danger or if something ain't right, he's that guy that can make that decision. And I don't think it, it means one tire, two tire, three tire. It could it could be one. It could be whatever he feels. And I think that's why he's in that position. And I don't think we respect him enough for the decisions that he makes because that was a tough one. Massey's been criticised a lot in the past for not focusing on safety enough and letting stuff go and it shouldn't be so letting qualifying carry on when there's a car at the side of the track, for example. So I was glad today to see him be like, right, no, this isn't safe. We need to stop it. I personally eviscerated Mike Massey over the uh, handling of the Australian Grand Prix at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. Uh, it's very easy for us to sit here in hindsight and say could have, would have, should have. Uh, but I think we have to give uh, appreciation where it's due and thank him for making that call. He has learned. He has adapted. And specifically after the events with Roman Grosjean in Bahrain last year, safety is now at the forefront, dare I say, more than it ever has been since the days of Jackie Stewart and the, the atrocities that happened then. Mike Massey did the right thing today, and it calms me and relieves me to see that safety is being taken so seriously again. We've gotten lucky for a very long time as a motorsport with accidents not resulting in more serious injuries and deaths, what have you. To see it come back around full circle and that same emphasis, that same desire to preserve life and limb and all things we hold dear for those drivers, he deserves to be applauded. He did it right. He has learned. He has matured. And I don't think we can roast him the way we did anymore. What I will say, though, is his decisions led to the greatest ending of a race that I've seen in a long time. So actually, was he protecting, uh, you know, human life or was he setting the stage? Who knows? Um, yes. But, but let's, 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 just, let's just move on a little bit. Um, the driver that came technically in last was William uh, Nicholas Latifi, sorry, for Williams. Um, I can't think of anything to do with him in this race he had that shocker sorry matt i know you were going to say that i beat you to it um he had that shocker where when the safety car was out he was called all the drivers had to go through the pits and nicholas is at the pit entry and his team go stay out stay out stay out so nicholas stays on the track and then he's like his race engineer goes yeah don't pull into the pits just don't pull into the box just go through the pits and nicholas is like what the hell stay out stay out stay out means stay on the track and then yeah that was a howler by a williams uh, race engineer and that there are two, there are two things there everybody a lot of comments on facebook have been talking about oh he should know to come in the pits it's a red flag <laughs> the guy's doing 180 miles an hour he doesn't have a chance to sit there and go through his brain of what does my race engineer really say when he says stay out 99.997% of the time when your race engineer says stay out, that means don't come into the pits. If you go back and look through all the onboard cameras and radio transmissions, when they say that, that means don't pull into the pits. It does not mean 
don't pull into the box. Uh, and you can, it, you can see him question it, Matt, though, right? So he's he's driving along. He's quite near the pit entry at this point. He's lining up for it, yeah. And, and he's like... It, it, for those that can't see me, he's like, oh my God, what do I do? He's like half, 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 half. And yeah, he, he does what he's told to do. He does what he's told. And granted, yes, the recovery truck, if you remember at the time they tell him stay out, is maybe 25 meters past the pit entry behind the wall. So he has to shoot the gap between the recovery truck and the wall. But when you're told stay out, you need to go, but there's a truck there. You're already past the pit entry. It's done. It's gone. You have to have that instinctual reaction. And something else I, could have happened in the pits, right? They exactly. They could know more than he knew. And for me, yes, Nicholas Latifi is the man behind the wheel. You know, normally they're going to penalize the driver. There are circumstances where the team were punished, like for unsafe releases, etc. I feel they may have kind of fumbled the way to handle this, but at the end of the day, uh, one of the comments that I can't remember the gentleman's name uh, made a very good point. At the end of the day, safety comes first before you know, race results before all of that. So no matter who gives the order or no matter whose fault it is that Nicholas Latifi did not go into the pits, that has to be addressed because that precedent has to be established that if you do not do what you're told under a red flag situation, you're going to get your pee-pee slapped. The argument people will make is that everyone in front of him was going into the pits, so therefore he should go into the pits. But obviously Latifi gets the information from his race engineer who gets the information from race control. So Latifi will get the information last. So therefore he'll think, right, they've had some breaking information since all they've gone into the pits. Therefore I should stay out. Which is why at Monza last year, you know, Carlos Sainz didn't box because he was told not to. And he was, you know, that's senseless to him. He was like, why? Everyone else is boxing. I should box. It was the right job not to. So Latifi would think, right, he knows some information that I don't. And then he's just made him look like a bit of an idiot, really. So that was Latifi. Um, coming in in 15th position. Oh, God, I'm just going to hang my head in shame. Um, this is Hamilton. Wait. Oh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Sorry, Ollie, Ollie uh, got me earlier with the audio of when Bottas had his pit stop disaster. So I'm going to play Ollie's audio when Hamilton crashed You're or locked not. up. Sorry. You're yes. Not. You are not <laughs> editing it out. <laughs> For the listeners at home, in this video, Ollie is all excited watching the restart, and it ends with him literally despondent, reduced huddles over the radiator in his home, not even watching the race. (laughs) Just you could watch the soul leave his body, and he is in tears by the end of this video. He is welling up. Listen, I like F1, okay? But one thing I will tell you is, just just, just if the listeners are wondering how we have this, it's because we all get each other to film our reactions, right? So it, this is natural. It's not like we pretended to do this. But one thing I'm just going to play to you is Matt's reaction. At Damn. Exactly. I was hoping you wouldn't do that. <laughs> driver safety, driver safety, driver safety. Don't listen to this part. Right. Here's Matt at exactly the same time. Nope, too far back. 
<laughs> I can't even defend it. Like, <laughs> like I'm there. I'm like wanting to die. I'm there. I was like a kangaroo over the radiator, and you're going, "Wow! Oh, is there a fourth reaction to Cow's this got, live?" Cow's cow? got his. We have got his. Okay. We have not seen this yet. Just, we haven't seen this. Just for reference, Holly, you may want to either bleep it or not put it in. <laughs> Okay, so I'll play it to you now because you've but not you, heard it. Cause it at at what point of the race is this? Is this the beginning or the second oh, restart? No, this is the second restart. Where Hamilton okay, restart. No, okay. okay. I haven't Ready? heard this. Yeah. I can't wait for this. <laughs> Right, stop it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Okay. So, if you couldn't hear me, I actually said, because Hamilton said it, well, in the red flag, he got back in the car and he was saying to the team, right, no silliness now. This is a long season. Let's just take our time. No, he said, it, it, no, I'll tell you what he said, which is, the, which is, I'm a Hamilton fan, but, I, you know, this is cringy. He said, um, it, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's what he said. exactly what he said, yeah. yeah. And he literally... It's a funny marathon that he was on about. Tires and slid straight into a wall. It was fucking brilliant. I loved it. It wouldn't have been funny if he didn't say that before. It, it would have been a that bit That was fresh funny. in everyone's mind. But also, we've just fresh had, in everyone's mind. We've just had Verstappen lose, the, lose his lead, right? He, he's going to get 25 points. Verstappen's... Not his fault, but he's put it in the wall. So 25 points, gone. Lewis is there with 18 points guaranteed. And he's going for the lead. He's going he's gonna to get rid... He's going to win the championship again. And then he flicks the wrong button or... He hit the boo-boo lever, didn't he? Yeah, he was like, did I turn the magic off on the radio? I was like, well, surely you should have kept the bloody magic on, mate. No, <laughs> it made me laugh. Um, go, go on. They, they have the magic lever, which basically means that their brakes warm up efficiently behind the safety car. Um, and he turned it off when he pulled up to the formation lap. But because Hamilton has this weird way of holding the steering wheel to operate his clutches at a race stop, on the upshift, he'd knocked it back on. So that meant when he came to brake, he used all of the brakes and it just went straight forward into oblivion, basically. With Ant in the commentary box, because obviously David Croft knows that and is the Mercedes simulator driver. So he was like, oh, what was that, Ant? And Ant was like, uh, 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 I can't really say. And then Ted just goes, he can't, I can, and explained it to everyone. <laughs> it's just like, no, thanks very much, Ted. The funnier thing was that Max Verstappen was having his blood pressure taken when he got this result. He said in an interview, he was like, yeah, I was having my blood pressure taken and my phone started vibrating. He was, was on the like, bed, What's wasn't going he? On? Yeah. <laughs> he was in the medical centre having his blood and all that done. And then he was like, I don't. He didn't say what he was like, but he must have had to have it checked again after he found out that news. I would assume. We also have to keep it in the perspective of you know, Calum's a diehard Verstappen fan. Ollie's a diehard Lewis fan. Dan is a Botas fan for some reason, and I'm a diehard Seb fan. So no, I get the diehard title too. I'm a diehard Bottas fan. To be fair, you're not old enough to be a diehard. Wrong. 
and it was incredible in that I don't, I cannot think of a race in recent memory to where the pack leaders have been so afflicted as this race. Max Verstappen leading the race, boom, catastrophic tire failure into the wall. Lewis Hamilton in second position. Uh, to be fair to him, has the pass completed and is ready to take the inside line into turn one. Boom, locks up off the wall. And Botas was, you know, in a car somewhere. Uh, it was fascinating the implications of the driver standings, you know, number one, number two, the implications for the constructor standings, you know, Master Sappen, through no fault of his own, gave away the constructor's lead by crashing out there. And then Lewis Hamilton returns the favor. It was this weird Thanos balance in all things that if something bad happened to Red Bull, something bad would happen to Mercedes to where it's almost a net zero and the constructor's standings at the very tippy top. Do you know the last time that happened, Matt? Where was it? Ooh, hurt me. I do not. Same place. Would that be during uh, Red Bull on Red Bull violence? <laughs> no, that'd be Ferrari getting, uh, Re- uh, sorry, Vettel oh, at Ferrari getting yeah, road rage. That. And then suddenly Lewis Hamilton's... Uh, the brake check incident, yes. Uh, yeah. I don't like to discuss that. So Something thanks that. for bringing me down to all of your all's levels. But that's today. the last time I can think of that the two people fighting for the championship had pretty much the same, what can you call it? Uh, Undoing. Undoing, yeah. So the other um, the other shock, really, let's talk about Bottas. Uh, we have to. He finished in 12th. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, okay, okay. Right, I'm going to get hounded for saying this. Bottas beat Lewis today entirely through Lewis's fault. It wasn't a failure. It was Lewis locking up. Yes, Bottas had the worst weekend by a mile, but he did beat Lewis. Hamilton had a steady race. Bottas started in 10th and couldn't get past people like Norris, Raikkonen, Giovinazzi. Anyone who was in front of him, he couldn't get past them. Hamilton was competing with... Yeah, Hamilton was competing with Vettel, Perez, Verstappen. You can't compare their races... Yeah, no, you I'm not. Do it. Hamilton had a much better race. Hamilton had you a much can't better say, weekend. Oh, Bottas did better because he finished in front. No, no, no. Of I'm not saying Bottas did better. I'm saying the final results. Bottas on paper finished better than Hamilton. I'm not if saying he had a better weekend. To cling on for if that's paper what you've got does... to cling on to. Stop following that one. I'm not. First, off, first off, this is why this is why Dan is no longer the Bottas fan. He's the Bottas zealot because stats and figures mean nothing to him. If we were to look at the count back potential scenario uh when that second red flag came out Botas was still out of the points Lewis Hamilton was in second if we were to go even further down the rabbit hole uh you know Botas finished in 12th so if we're going to bring points into it Lewis Hamilton was challenging for 18 Botas was challenging, yeah, challenging for, for 25 is what he's challenging well for. that's a, no that's a fair point I'll, I'll grant you that in he fact was, he, he had 25 when he went off hmm that now has quickly changed to zero. Now I'm being a fanboy. <laughs> at, the end, at the end of the day, both Botas and Hamilton finished with zero points. But Lewis Hamilton had a much higher percentage of at least bringing points home. Yeah, I'm not you disagreeing. Know, whereas Valtteri Botas was stuck looking at let's just let's just let's just play devil's advocate, Dan. Who finished ahead of Valtteri Botas? How long I, I, I'm just going to defend Dan here because what he said was he said 
Bottas finished in front of Hamilton. That is what I'm not going to defend is that's a stupid statement. So did Antonio <laughs> Giovinazzi finish 11th. I love Dan. I love you, Dan, but... I'm not for one second saying Bottas had the better weekend. Not for half a second am I saying that. <laughs> okay, I'm I just to make sure that we're not I'm saying, saying that Bottas did better. Is Hamilton made that massive mistake, which Bottas didn't make, therefore he finished behind him. He still had the much better weekend, completely, but the final results show Bottas in front of Hamilton. That's the, the only thing I'm saying. The final results are still 0-0. Zero, zero. If we're going to split yeah, hairs over true, five points true. out of the points, it's a net zero and not where that Mercedes car should be at it all, doesn't, no matter It doesn't matter how you got there. It manages when you cross the line. Um, so what's yeah. making me laugh is the fact that Bottas was 10th for the whole race. We had a red flag. He had the chance to actually restart the race. The, we know the Mercedes is good off the start. We know it's good off the line. He dropped back two places. Giovinazzi's rapid off the line, to be fair to him, though. That's the one thing that Giovinazzi... What was it our old dear departed friend Will said? Motto start? (laughs) Dan, the fact that you said, to be fair, Giovinazzi's rapid. No, no, no. no, no, With an Alfa Romeo versus a Mercedes. That's what what Giovinazzi's known for, is all I'm saying. Bottas is known to have slightly shaky starts. Bottas is in the Mercedes. He shouldn't have been overtaken. He's in the Mercedes. You can't say... To be fair, Giovinazzi, that sentence, whatever comes after it, is invalid because Bottas is in a freaking world champion, seven-time world championship winning car. You can't say, to be fair, Giovinazzi. You can't have it. Matt came in eighth place in the 100-meter dash, but to be fair, he's like 40 pounds overweight. Like, <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> I, think, I think there comes a point down where you're going to have to stop putting your fanboy love for Bottas first and actually look at the statistics and look at the facts and say, you know what, he's had his fun. Maybe he just needs to move on from Mercedes on a high and go to another team and perform well there. Because I'm not disputing that he did well at Williams and he deserved to be in that seat at Mercedes. But he's never done enough consistency to prove why he is at Mercedes anymore. So he did well to get there. He's not done well since he got there consistently. So he's had a few good races, but never kept it up. And that is the problem. Everyone looks at Bottas and thinks, well, oh dear. And now that the Red Bull and the Ferrari and the McLaren have all caught up with Mercedes, they're all like, well, Bottas is getting found out. You know, all right, McLaren and Ferrari aren't quite as fast as Red Bull, but you know what I mean? They're competing. But they're beating him. And but you could use Bottas. the same argument for Hamilton last weekend if you look at it like that. He got he, it's yeah, an exactly. off weekend. There's no like but, no, no, I, all I'm going to say is, is more often say is is more often doing that. I don't want to look at one Hamilton weekend where he's had an off one. I'm looking at the whole four year picture where he's been there. If you don't want to look at the the the, the today and you want to look at, um, I always say like luck is temporary. Excellence is permanent, right? Look at the championship standings. That we've had four races, so just just look at them. That will tell you what you need to know. Um, should have had should have had eighteen more points than he's got. Sorry. Yes, but should have, could have, would have. So, okay. So, so okay. should Max. So should Max. Let's let's look at that. Let's look at that. If Mercedes had eighteen more points from that one finish from Valtteri Bottas, that would bring their total to a grand total of 166. They are still eight points behind Red Bull with 174 as the championship standings are right now. So even if you were to give Valtteri Bottas the the best of intentions, the best finishes, and nothing goes wrong, they're still falling behind. And it all falls down to 
No, I'm going to say it. It falls down to Checo Perez is better and has produced more than Valtteri Botas in his fifth race at Red Bull. What I want to say as well is that even if Bottas had them 18 points, he'd still be fifth in the championship. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. Um, by a point. So, you know, there's still a Red Bull, another Mercedes, and a McLaren still beating him at that point. So For all the listeners at home, still, for all the listeners at home, Dan just posted in our chat to our little video call here where we're actually recording this podcast. Can we move on? That's nothing to do with Bottas. That's because you're. That's because we're on a time limit, and I want to talk about something else. That's nothing to do with this. I could talk about Bottas all day. We are we are on a time limit, and we've got about five minutes left. But what I just want to say is, if I was Toto Wolf, I would be looking to replace Bottas right now. They won't. They won't do that. I would put a lot on them not replacing Bottas mid-season. They'll wait till the end of the season. I'm not confident he'll be there next year. Wherever he is, I'll still support him. But they won't do it mid-season, I'm almost sure of. Okay, so um, finishing above uh, Bottas, we had Giovinazzi. <laughs> I'm not doing this take piss, I'm just going through the order. Uh, we had Giovinazzi, Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, Danny Ricciardo finished in ninth. Good? Bad? What do we think from, from uh, Raikkonen this weekend? I think it's a decent recovery drive from his foibles in, quali- in uh, qualifying. However, I'm not entirely certain that we can hang all of that on qualifying. I Let's be honest. They didn't show a lot of Daniel Ricciardo at all, and I was not monitoring the telemetry because I was garbage this weekend and I was a little bit soused as the race went on. Uh, I think it's a decent showing for him. You know, it's in the points, barely. Better than both Merck drivers. Uh, but if we look at who still finished ahead of him, I feel that Daniel Ricciardo has still not come to terms with Blossoms. and settled into that McLaren at the same rate as some of the drivers who have made that migration ahead of him. Okay. Um, Sainz, the, um, I was going to say the second Ferrari, second in the order. He was eighth today. What do we think about that? Cal? He had a, albeit, you know, he made a big mistake. He locked up, I think it was into turn four, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, he ended up in a runoff and he had to reverse out and he looked a bit silly. But at that point when he came out, he was like 16th. Um, ended up in eighth. So, you know, he's not had an awful race. He still pulled it back into the points after essentially stopping for a quick break. So, you know... I think he's really settling into that car and I think he is making it quite quick. Yeah, okay. Um, Ahead of Carlos Sainz, we had Yuki Tsunoda in seventh. Is that what we've been waiting for, guys? That is. uh, Even though he had the crash in Q3, first off, kudos to him for even getting to Q3. Uh, And I don't necessarily fault him for that wreck in Q3. It is a young driver under pressure to perform at a higher level and they are on the knife edge. He's going to have to push it to, you know, be comparable to Pierre Gasly because Pierre Gasly is so comfortable in that car. Uh, however, it wasn't even necessarily a recovery drive. It was a solid drive from Yuki Tsunoda today. Red flags out the window, what have you. He would have still finished in the points, and that is a win for him, and that is shades of the Yuki Tsunoda we have come to expect and living up to the potential that I feel that driver has. Okay. Um, ahead of Yuki, we had Fernando Alonso. Is who's that? Oh, he's just some boat that used to race in F1. Who's come back? Who? 
Name rings a bell. Don't know Is he why. the rookie that was in the young driver's test? Oh, the young driver. Yeah. I mean, that's great him, yeah. showing for a rookie. Yep. Uh, it, it, that's his best, best result, isn't it? Yes. Far and away. Yep. I believe before that, his best finish was eighth, wasn't it? Uh, can't recall, but I know that's the best. So, yeah, well done, Fernando. You did well today, mate. And in fifth, by the way, put your hand up when I say it rather than before I say it, otherwise I get confused. Safe. And in fifth, we had the McLaren Mercedes of Lando Norris. Cal? Yeah, Norris, again, he had a poor and a good race at the same time. So he started in ninth after a three-place grid penalty. should have been sixth. Um, From ninth... He dropped to 12th at the start of the race. Now, obviously, he was in 12th quite a while. I think he managed to get someone with an undercut. I think it was Bottas actually got with the undercut, and he was driving back around in ninth. Um, but by the time the red flag had been and all that, he ended up finishing in fifth. So he's had a solid race, really, overall, because he's jumped up four places. But again, if he hadn't had a dodgy start, we'd be saying, well, what could have been? Um, so he's still performing quite well this season. And I'm, I've got high hopes for him. I think the McLaren's really good underneath him. Yeah, I did think this weekend uh, Ricardo was going to get the upper hand, but it, it, it didn't work out. Um, ahead of Lando Norris was uh, Charles Leclerc, the pole man. Let's let's be honest here. He was never going to win it, was he? Uh, Dan, what do you think? No, he was never going to win it, but I was quite surprised at how quickly he lost the lead. It was within a few laps before everyone was on his tail. I thought he'd keep it for a little bit at least. But well, he you say that. I, th- I, I was very okay. He lost it quickly, but he stayed with everyone, didn't he? He did stay with them for quite a while, yeah, and then true. he just completely dropped. So, um, you know, he must have been putting a hundred ten percent in for you know ten ten laps or so. Matt, you're the Ferrari if, man. If you all were to call, uh, and I don't know what it is, I need to do some more research on this. Ferrari have struggled mightily on their first stint this year. I don't know if it's a balance issue with the location of the fuel tank or what what it is. But when that car is in its lower weight spec, the same as everybody else, it does better. But the Ferrari does incrementally better in the low weight trim, if that makes sense. Yeah, because uh, Mercedes have the race pace. They can do a bad qualifying. They can do more deliver. with it throughout the entire span of the race, whereas Ferrari don't come alive until the last third of the race from what I've seen. That's why you see the classical muggings, as I call them. Uh, like two races ago for Charles Leclerc, where he's got past, what was it, three positions in two laps. Uh, you know, It's very hard to watch. I think they're on the cusp of figuring that issue out and finding a way forward. But, you know, as you all recall, before this race, I even stated Ferrari is going to struggle on their first stint. And Charles Leclerc did his absolute best to deny that claim. We, um, we, we're being a bit harsh, I think, actually, because Leclerc was very, very close to a podium after that safety car restart. You know, he was, you know, he'd sort of overtaken and then lost it again, and then overtook and then lost it again. So he was actually very close to P3 in the end. So let's just finish on the podium. So in third, drum roll, please. Drum roll, everyone. Allow me. Uh, on the on the uh, on the drum roll, on the podium we had Pierre Gasly in third. What Woo! a result for yeah, him! Yeah, man. 
as a Ferrari fan, I can't even be mad because that racing between he and Charles the last two laps was exquisite finger licking. This is why we watch flipping F1 good. Yes, man. Yes, it was it was beautiful. And I was feeling a little bit delicate at the time after what had just happened. But this is F1, man. We need these guys racing. We need Pierre Gasly on the podium. We need him racing a Ferrari. A Ferrari, right? And a Ferrari that's competitive as well. This That was absolutely brilliant. Do you know what? I feel that that third position for Pierre today was uh, better than his win in Monza, if you ask me personally. I think he, he earned it today more than he earned that. Dan, you disagree with me. Tell me why. I don't really know. I just feel like you can never earn a P3 more than you can earn a win. He had to fight Carlos Sainz. He did get lucky with the way his pit stops worked out in Monza. But I just don't think you can put a P3 above a win, in my opinion. He's had to work blimmin' hard for every podium that he's got. He's got one P2, one P1, and one P3. It's a fair play to him. Okay, I'll take that. A P1's better than a P3, but it's for me as a racing fan, it's how you earn it. Um, finishing in second place today, I cannot believe I'm about to say it. Um, my good God, what a drive from this man. Eat your words, Ollie. Um, Sebastian Vettel! I just want to cover a few small points in this. Everybody listens to this podcast knows that I live and breathe and die by Sebastian Vettel. I have followed him from Ferrari to Aston Martin. But one of the things I want to touch on is his newfound calm and return to form with Aston Martin. If we go over his results in 2021... In Bahrain, he finished 15th. He had that DNF in the uh, Emilia Romana Grand Prix. He finished 13th in the Portuguese Grand Prix and Spanish Grand Prix. Those are are not telling of who he is as a driver, and I believe those were growing pains. Whatever has happened on the updates or getting the data under his ass he needs in that car have shown results. Last race at Monaco, Sebastian Vettel finished 5th. This drive to second is I, – I am a full-grown man, and I am not afraid to admit that I cried <laughs> to see him ascend to that step, to see him become the Seb of old, to have some great on-track action, to keep his head down and race. This is a brilliant result for Aston Martin. This is their first podium in F1 and a hard-fought race. Granted, yes, we could say he would have finished P4 if Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen hadn't have been – screwed the way they were even that p4 is still a celebratory moment having him on the steps and the fashion that he was there made my week made my month and i only expect a continuation for him going forward there will be tracks that are outclassed they don't have the uh top end speed sebastian vettel had a brilliant 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 drive and i think he reminded him people around the world the man's a four-time world champion. Don't sleep on my boy. <laughs> okay, I don't think there's anything we can add to that. You, you've heard it here from a Seb Vettel fan. And winning today was Sergio Perez. Cal. I'm eating my words from before in the podcast when I said Perez shouldn't have taken the seat. Albon should have kept it. Albon never won a race. Albon never even actually got a podium. Did he, already, did he get one? Um, one or two podiums but Perez already is proving in the first six races bear in mind he's completely new to this style of car it's a very erratic car it's a very hard car to control 
He's got in the car six races later. He's won a race. That is fantastic for Red Bull and it's fantastic for the team going forward. It's fantastic for Max as well because he had support during the race. He had a wingman. Perez was actively protecting Max. He was doing his job. And then when Max's tyre fire, uh, sorry, Max's tyre failed, Perez was there to mop up the pieces and still bring home the points for the team. So he was the perfect driver this weekend for Red Bull and I can't be happier for the team. I am extremely excited for Checo in that we all know the story of him basically keeping Racing Point afloat when they went into, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, guys? Uh, The financial administration. Administration, thank you. Uh, You know, the man is a consummate professional. He is a beloved character throughout the paddock. Uh, He actually did an interview before the season began saying that you give me five races and I'll make good on it. He took one more, fair, but we all love seeing his race win in Bahrain last year. To me, this is a more important win and that he did it with a smaller amount of data collected in this car. He did it doing what Red Bull has needed somebody to do for years behind Max Verstappen, exposing the flaw that is Valtteri Botas and why the Mercedes brand is starting to fall behind the Constructors' Championship, and also cementing him as one of the most adaptable drivers on the grid. This is a brilliant drive from him, and it should be celebrated. It shouldn't be looked at as Max gave it away. Well, uh, uh, Max lost. Max didn't put a foot wrong, but neither did Checo in a flipping difficult car to drive that has caught out so many other drivers. Brilliant things from him. I cannot be more. I'm almost more excited for Checo than I am Seb, and I don't have a painting of Checo in my house. Let that sit for a minute. Okay, so um, what a race it was. Uh, I'm going to ask you, please, for your drivers of the day and your race reviews out of 10. This is going to be one word answer, guys, because we are out of time. Um, so, Dan, I'm going to start with you today. Uh, Matt's right. going to want Seb. I'm going to say Checo and give it a 7 out of 10. That's it. Uh, Matt, please can I have your driver of the day. We all know driver of the day has to be Seb. And, and race rating? Race rating is a 9.2. Point two. We're getting into the decimals now. <laughs> um, Cal. Uh, please can I have your race rating first? Race rating is a 9 out of 10. Okay. And And my driver driver of the day day is Sebastian Vettel. Goodness gracious. Uh, Is it me next? Say it. I want to hear you (laughs) say it. Say Um, it. Okay, my, uh, my race rating first is I'd give it a nine and a half. I thought it was a fantastic race and no one cares about that. Who's my driver of the day? Pierre Gasly. <laughs> oh, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we have to say goodbye, but we're going to be back with an absolutely blockbuster guest very soon. Uh, oh, I'm, yes. I'm beyond excited for this. Like, we've had some wicked guests. I, I, I all... Everyone's been amazing, but I, I'm I'm super excited for the next one. So um, make sure you press subscribe, hit that five-star button, because you get better guests on this show if you hit five stars. That's just how it works. So um, 
do that. And uh, thank you to my panel today. Um, Cal, thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thoroughly enjoyed being on today. Thank you very much. Uh, Matthew. Always thrilled to be here. Love every single one of you guys. Uh, make sure and follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at Formula Nerds and check out the website, FormulaNerds.com. Dan, the still Bottas fan. Thank you. Always, always. Thank you very much. See you on Wednesday, which is a great show that's coming up. And uh, I'm Ollie. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week. You